I will take the ring to Mordor. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike. We continue our trilogy today with a film that came out, oh boy, a whole three years later than Sphere and looks just slightly better, costs just a little bit more, The Fellowship of the Rings, the first part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Good Lord, I cannot believe that that Sphere costs $80 million to make and the fellowship cost 93 and one of them was just a slightly bigger hit than the other <laughs> slightly yes <laughs> i actually don't think that i know we tried to get um of late separation in our our films uh, unless we're doing a weird was it what was our 1978 trilogy of like violence starting with kung fu and ending with Clint Eastwood and a that's right and a, a chimp uh, in a truck, uh, which you, I, th- I think you lived through. You didn't quite finish the film, but I think you lived through that <laughs> podcast that month. Um, but Lord of, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, coming a mere three years later, feels like it's from an entirely different time period. I was about to say Sphere. <laughs> I don't know what time period Sphere <laughs> feels like it's from. It just is a black <laughs> hole. It just disappeared uh, off the landscape. Are you pumped for for this event uh because i feel like it was like an event status release which um used to be like a uh, at best maybe twice a year type thing like you know we we at the end of the 90s you got the return of the star wars saga you got the matrix starting up as like two competing sort of sci-fi franchises I had to double check because I'm looking at my you know wiki tab and I see that this was the second highest grossing film of 2001. I'm like, what the fuck topped Lord of the Rings? Uh, the first Harry Potter oh. came out a mere month earlier. I'm like, oh, makes sense. Um, that being said, uh, you know there was there were not three or four Marvel properties coming out and competing things with with DC or a Star Wars entry. The drop-off from Lord of the Rings would go down to Monsters, Inc. and Shrek. And Ocean's Eleven was the fifth highest grossing film of 2001. 
So yeah, I, th- I think it's safe to say this was event level material. So much so that I remember going in winter of late 2000 or early 2001 and seeing 13 Days, the Kevin Costner JFK Cuban Missile Crisis movie. Uh, don't I, I see the face you're making? Don't Fred actually walked out of it? Never even heard of this. <laughs> I think Bruce Greenwood is playing JFK and Kevin Costner is some sort of advisor or something. I went because that was the those were the days when certain films would have certain trailers attached to them as a means for studios to kind of get you to. And so there I was, along with other, uh, I guess, Tolkien dorks, <laughs> going to pay my six bucks to see 13 days just so I could get a glimpse um, pre-internet marketing blitz, pre-YouTube of Gandalf and company. <laughs> because I'm wrong about most things in life, I was like, oh no, looks kind of shitty to me. <laughs> I don't think this is going to go anywhere. <laughs> I remember coming back to my buddies in high school, telling them like, yeah, don't count on that working out. Like this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> okay. I So <laughs> let's see if it's fear good guys. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was reading a lot of Michael Crichton. I wasn't reading much Tolkien, unfortunately. So I wasn't pumped in the way that a lot of the other fantasy geeks were. I was more into sci-fi at the time. At this point in my life, gosh, if this were to come out today, like I, I would be first in line 110% because um, I have really embraced uh, the fantasy genre. Um, but... Like I'm, I'm really, literally, like I'm, I'm kind of catching up now. I'm into uh, Wizard's First Rule. I'm, I'm in the middle of that first book by Terry Goodkind. Like I'm really into this genre now, and and uh, Lord of the Rings continues to be a bit of a blind spot uh, for my reading. And I will get uh, to let's it. Let's reveal our text exchange from earlier today, where you <laughs> you felt guilt, shame, or just the need. Um, to have uh, a a copy, a physical representation of the Middle Earth saga, yeah, uh, in your home, uh, and you felt like you were being a bad geek, and I, because <laughs> being the illiterate bastard, was like, ah, fuck them, <laughs> you, you don't need that shit. <laughs> Just get you a nice cheap copy of The Hobbit. That's it. You don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I. And the thing is, like, I but I do want it because then I will act. I feel like I'll actually uh, nope. sit down and. Nope. and... <laughs> it's not going to happen because the movie versions <laughs> are so much cleaner, and the emotions, like I don't know, there's there's a restraint in the prose that makes everything feel at a distance. There's this very. I think it comes from the sort of, you know, the sort of English version of like, um, you know, commanding officers and that, that sort of like cold with with slight moments of warmth, respect that they have for each other. I think it's most clear in like the sort of Sam Frodo dynamic. I as an mm-hmm. American and not not someone born into wealth or privilege. Um find that a little unseemly the the people that like yes i will walk literally to the end of the earth with you to my fiery death if we can get past all the fucking wraiths 
and you know uh, tentacle monsters coming out of the water, all of that bullshit. Um, because you are rich, and I am a a poor beggar who happened to be digging around in your garden outside at night, and now for that crime, I'm sent, I'm tasked with being your body man as you go with basically this weapon of mass destruction. No, no, sir, I I I I do not uh, truck with that. I think the movie's still a little bit better version of uniting the the various, uh, I guess tiers of humanity that we have here. I also think that you have some, some of the performances you just don't often get in fantasy uh, settings. They, I think most fantasy movies feel kind of stagnant and tired as if they're doing some sort of like theater production of this other world. Uh, Ian McKellen is awesome as, as Gandalf here. He has all of that sort of commanding stature while also bringing that other sort of bumbling side to this wizard who my favorite trait really in uh, human is curiosity. And that's what I love about the Gandalf characters. He has genuine curiosity and things that he doesn't understand, uh, which is counter to the main villains who feel like they know exactly what needs to be done. Even some of the heroes, Boromir knows exactly how we should handle this problem. Give me the weapon. I know what to do with it. I'm the big man. I'm the powerful one. I can handle this. All of that, I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe you'll get it from the source material. I hope I hope we're getting Middle-earth fans coming to listen to this where I'm like, fuck the books. Fuck this guy's <laughs> life's work. It was distilled brilliantly by this uh, by this uh, Peter Jackson fellow who went on to, to make, what, The Lovely Bones and <laughs> King Kong and <laughs> what, what did he do? I was going to say, what did he do post-Middle-earth? Yeah. Uh, but you know what? The King Kong, it's gotta be, because that was his passion project. Like he owns one of those original um, figures. You buy of that? King you don't get to me. It's like you don't get back to back passion projects. You just did the fucking Lord of the Rings, and now you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I got something I'm really passionate about. That I just knocked that out. That was just <laughs> that's just something I did, you know, in between my other epics here between. <laughs> Between the Frighteners and King Kong, I was just dallying about in New Zealand. I don't know what it was. You know, just whatever. That was my wag the dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the more that I learn about Tolkien, and he's had quite a tragic history, too. His parents died when he was quite young, and he had to kind of be his father figure for his brother. Mm-hmm. And then he went off to uh, the Great War, World War One, mm-hmm. and and all his buddies died in the war. And while he's in the middle of the trenches, where he's coming up with the mythology that would ultimately become the lore for for Middle Earth, you know, he, he, and he studied language quite a bit, and that's kind of where all this comes from. The work that went into creating such a fully realized world. That while, yes, I think uh, Peter Jackson and, and company streamlined it for the masses, I, I, I feel like I owe it to Tolkien to read. And I will get to it uh, at some point. Um, he actually was upset that the, the, the books became a little bit of nerd fodder uh, because a lot of the critical analysis I think he was displeased with, that the ring became uh, kind of a... Uh, a metaphor for something like nuclear weapons. Yeah, he was very anti-allegory, yes. Yes, exactly. Because he wanted the books to be, what's it called, 
applicable to any right. generation and, and kind of be relevant. Well, always. I mean, <laughs> his main concern was like, hey, 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 I came up with Klingon speak. And then we came up with a story so they could use <laughs> my Elvish language. Like he was a man who was not necessarily, I think, as passionate about uh story as he was uh the structure for the story like he just he wanted to be able to to hang mm -hmm. all this various bits of laundry up as far as you know making up all of these nations and the the, the dwarves and the elves but you know he's also using some pretty like classic archetypes here as far as frodo as our our lead character is like the the ultimate underdog um going on a hero's journey here it was always going to be for the dorks like it was you know and yeah. so in yeah. that regard do you think that he would have been happy with i mean he probably wouldn't have been happy with the streamlining and you know no tom bombadil and all that bullshit right but would he have been happy that peter jackson this did become decidedly mainstream like i'm not saying that the books weren't but at least when i came around to them in the late 90s they had sort of been put back on the nerd shelf like they may have reached mainstream popularity in the 60s i think with the sort of countercultural movement and, and hippies and the, definitely they grafted on to the shire and the the idea of sort of maintaining um a, a sort of balance in the world that is not dominated by by force and taking over someone else's land especially going into the vietnam era but late 90s if you're going to the library and saying, I think I'm going to start reading Lord of the Rings, you probably also had the monster manual for your <laughs> <laughs> you know, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So in that regard, do you think he would have been satisfied that you had people like my dad going to see the Lord of the Rings movies? He never would have been caught if I'd said, hey, the old man, read this, read this story about this hobbit who lived in a hole in the ground. And no, but he did go see the two towers. I don't know if he enjoyed it, but he did he did pay his eight bucks. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, my dad is a man of few words, so he was not going to have, he was not going to do a podcast after. He was just going to be like, tell me when the next one's out <laughs> and I'll go see how the story wraps up. <laughs> you know, I'd like to think that he would, because the thing is, the films are, like we talk about how the, the novels are these fully realized worlds, the films the worlds are absolutely uh, luscious, and and they are they are f just as fully realized. I would have to imagine. I think visually, and and characters, everything. Peter Jackson and and all the writers as well. There was the the, the script was being rewritten like every day, and, and not in like a bad way, but just like okay, how how can we continue to like sharpen this thing? Because um, what like because it, it ultimately like Peter Jackson came into this project like this is going to be unfilmable and he went to Merrimax and was like he wants to try to do this uh, uh the three books in two films and Merrimax was like can you do it in one and then Peter Jackson was like no I cannot and so Merrimax was like all right go ahead and you know uh, uh shop it around go you can take it elsewhere and they did they went to uh, Bob Shea New Line and so New Line uh w w after the pitch uh, Bob Shea was like, you can't do this in two films. Like, you need three. And Peter Jackson was like, okay. And ultimately, like, even at that point, they, they had uh, scripts written for kind of their part one and two. And they had to, once you do it in three movies, it had to be rewritten. 
and and he hated uh filming these uh, giant expository dialogue scenes because uh, like uh, uh, the scene where the fellowship is created i think it goes on for um, I, I forget what they mentioned in one of the appendices, uh, but it, you know you can't have like a half hour scene of them all of them discussing what's then going it would be on. A Marvel movie, <laughs> but <laughs> but they managed to convey all of that stress and the tension and the headache that all of these different uh, uh, beings are are kind of going through and how to get this fucking ring to Mordor. They he manages to film all of that and convey all of that information over the course of like a few minutes and for a guy like Tolkien who had uh, no real I mean I guess uh, nobody was telling him well you got to wrap this up in the matter you know in the next few pages like you have to admire it it's a skill what Peter Jackson and his uh, screenwriters and his team did there's no doubt and and I remember the first time I went to Harry Potter World um, I walked in and I, and I saw and I it's, it's like I stepped into the books like the art direction and the construction of that area is just so gorgeous. And if Tolkien was is watching one of these films, he's got to be just in would have been in awe. You know the the anti Alan Moore effect. I think I, hope I so. would say I would say that Tolkien um, would have been pleased. Yeah, I had to take a shot at Marvel because uh, I just watched uh, Wakanda Forever, which in yeah yeah me too runtime is approaching <laughs> what is, I don't know what the theatrical runtime was for um this one I think it's still just shy of 3 hours um cuz I I always go back to the extended versions when I rewatch Lord of the Rings like once I saw that I'm like okay this is this is what it was meant to be it's not just padding it's yes. uh, it's necessary uh which is not taking anything away from the theatrical versions those were hugely successful I just think that um Rightfully so. I think even with your average consumer, I think the extended version is now like what you go to. But man, Wakanda Forever is like 15 minutes shy, 20 minutes shy of like Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. What the fuck are we doing with our time? <laughs> There's a sequence where, uh, uh, you know, the Marvel's version of Aquaman, uh, Namor is saying, I'm going to tell you my entire life story to a character and the character after that says, and it was, it got a chuckle out of me. Like, why are you telling me all this? And I started dying laughing. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> cause you're not an actual character. <laughs> Neither one of your characters, you're just set up for something else to come. Uh, but I love that. I was like, I don't know if that's meant as a meta joke where the characters like, can you just talk to me like a normal <laughs> fucking person with wings on their feet? Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you just ramble on for that? <laughs> we just met. Um, there is some shorthand, obviously, in um, Fellowship. I think um, some of it in its most Marvel way is a little forced. I'm thinking primarily with Aragorn, where he's introduced as Strider, just so we can have a reveal much later on. Like, hey, that, that, that dude's actually like someone important. Like, yeah, he's... He goes down in the mucky muck and, uh, you know, plays with you fools as, as a mere ranger. But he's actually like he is meant to sit upon the throne and he's uh, the sort of lost son of Gondor. Uh, that stuff can be a little silly. Um, I think that's why the extended versions work a little bit more when it has time no. to breathe. 
No, they're not silly. He's the heir to Isildur. You know, he's like he he has that. He feels like he has that same weakness. It's all good character. No, no, no work, I'm saying Mike. It's all good character. The work. bartender saying that guy is known as Strider. That, that oh, the fact oh. where you have to. Okay. Um, okay. If you reveal that he's not Strider to me, five minutes later, it makes it makes even having that alias feel weird. If you don't have the the time to sort of breathe in of why he is not operating under his you know his true identity and true self. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, I don't I don't really see any problems with this movie. Like, and I actually thought I would because I don't revisit this one. I mean, first off, it's it's a full course meal, so I I don't go back to it in in sphere terms. It's not an annual watch. <laughs> but I thought, okay, I was really into this as a teenager when it came out. It like hit me at the right point where maybe the uh, you know it's an understatement to say that the uh, Star Wars prequels were not giving me that scope that I wanted uh, and sort of like uh, transport me to another world and have this epic tale. And Lord of the Rings came in nicely and sort of satisfied nerddom, at least, you know, as much as they can be. And um, it also helps that they were financially successful and that there didn't have to be an internet campaign to release the extended editions. Like, that was just like, hey, we're going to give you the extended editions and DVD. Don't you miss the days when DVD was king? When you could just expect these, like, beautiful, huge, like, undertakings of, like, just mammoth special features. Like, you could you would set aside, like, the entire, like, weekend to just dive into that one movie. I, I Man, I missed that. And I did a little bit for this one. I kind of got back in into that, that mold. Um, oh, I certainly did. I think you, do, you do that yeah, even right when the, the film doesn't even justify it. You're like, there has to be something something else. What was the reason here? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that the only negative I can say about it as a property is, uh, and I, I, I've already heard you, your sort of disagreement. Uh, I think this is the high point of the trilogy. I, I enjoy getting a glimpse of the good old days, which is primarily the Shire uh, celebrating Bilbo Baggins birthday before he's going to disappear. And before we, we actually start to investigate the ring and all of that. And, you know, it's just unfortunately because there's a part two and three of three um, that we're not going to have any good times <laughs> at the beginning of those movies. I, I, <laughs> at most, maybe it's Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli like on their hunt at the beginning of Two Towers. But uh, I enjoy my time so much with, uh, you know, throwing a birthday party before we get into into the world saga that it will always probably be fellowship for me. Um, and it, I've probably seen this one. 10 times the amount I've seen two towers and I've probably seen it 10 times the amount I've seen return of the King. How about this? I think that fellowship is the best of them, but my favorite is two towers. Like that's kind of where I'm and return of the King. Like it feels like, like I feel bad for saying, I don't, it's, it's, it's not a bad movie. It's just like, all right, now it's the wrap up. It it goes it goes back to our last last month's you know uh, theme. The third one's always a little bit of a struggle. I feel like what you, um, I'm gonna put it in sexual but, terms. It feels like you got your rocks off with two towers, primarily probably Helm's Deep, and then your partner has not yet been satisfied. You're like, well, okay, like, <laughs> we gotta finish. So I'll help you out. We'll wrap things up. <laughs> Do this Return of the King business. There's work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Um, and you know what? I, I think one of the the best compliment you can give this film is like the even the the extended version. Like it doesn't feel like three and a half hours. It, it doesn't. It goes by so fast. Um, uh, there's always something interesting happening on screen, and and that's kind of what 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 blows my mind is like they took this sprawling novel and they managed to uh, uh, keep like the hope, courage, the will to keep moving forward when you know the uh, ultimately like you're on a losing mission and like all those themes and those emotions. Everything that, from what I understand, is in the book is in these movies, even though it's uh, the uh, large chunks are cut out, and the story just flies by. All of the uh, Tolkien's themes and tone, it's all there. And and what's frustrating is like I, I can we can now kind of look into the future and see that this is the exact opposite of what happens with those fucking Hobbit movies. Mm. They take something that's nice and short, and they expand it artificially for the sake of profit and and for 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 franchise sake and it's it's so frustrating but but we'll always have fellowship and and it, it, yeah you're right it is hard i i have to really work hard to to say anything negative about this film and even my my complaints are about stuff that's not the film but stuff that comes later i think maybe they lean um a little bit into um, some sort of silly or kind of quaint uh, humor. And uh, everyone is like, especially in the, the Shire, it's very childlike as far as like, what is fine because there's going to be such a nightmare hellscape for these poor hobbits going forward that uh, I don't really need to see a cynical Frodo. It's like being a fucking smart ass. <laughs> Uh, I don't need to see, you know, uh, Mary and Pippin being Jay and Silent Bob, like in the Shire. <laughs> like I'm fine with them just stealing some carrots and, you know, falling down and pratfalls. It's, it's fine. Like it's all, it's all, it's all innocent and, and fun until then. But, um, I seem to remember more criticism from at least my circle of nerd friends, uh, upon initial release for that, because I think, I think there was such a hangover from Jar Jar Binks in episode one that like anything that was a nerd property, they were like, no, 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 do not be silly. Do not be zany. We've, we've been down that road. Please keep that away. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, it's interesting to hear about how they were constantly rewriting because it has the feeling of. Uh, masterful control by the filmmakers that they knew exactly what they're doing, which was not totally true. Mm -hmm. uh, there's even going back to two towers, which we're not talking about. I remember uh, in one of the special features, they talked about Liv Tyler shows up as Arwen at, at Helm Steep, and they actually had her like participating and they realized that was, I guess, kind of dumb that she would just <laughs> show up for that and then hightail it. But you know, they, they fixed their mistakes. They were, they were, there was a little bit of trial and error uh, with that. Um, you can't say there's not genuine love for the material. Like there's just, it seems like it just pours yeah. out oh, from the gosh. performers, uh, primarily Christopher Lee. If you, if you watch any of the special features, who is like a huge fan, uh, oh, yeah. he, uh, was very protective and you could just tell how enthusiastic he was to, I mean, it, this had to be, I don't, I don't know if, uh, Saruman was his dream role, but if you're Christopher Lee, that's that's what you're gonna get. <laughs> like we're not like you just are are designed. You just have the voice. You've got the eyes. You were gonna be Saruman. You were gonna be the the, the bad wizard. Um, 
I will say just sort of, you know, I don't know if I, I was going to say this maybe for the, uh, the wrap up, but I'll just keep it here because it just applies to Lord of the Rings. It's also one of my favorite sort of movie moments because uh, I got to introduce my granny to these and she was not a fantasy uh, film lover at all. She was a huge, I mean, her favorite uh, two movies were The Godfather 1 and 2. <laughs> so she is a fan of trilogies kind of you know keep in mind she didn't mention the third one but um <laughs> i you know i i think she just heard me talking about this movie so much she's like what is all that you know you're saying weird words like hobbits and was this uh galadriel what is this nonsense <laughs> and i'm like well you know you're probably not gonna get into it but you know here, here let's let's sit down and try it and she fell in love with these movies and she also fell in love with uh ian mckellen as gandalf um, and not to, you know, get into her business, uh, cause she has passed on, but, uh, I don't think she would mind, uh, cause she would tell anyone who listened that she much preferred Gandalf the white to Gandalf the gray. She liked the, the cleaned up <laughs> like angelic version, uh, of, of him. So, uh, her favorite men in her life, Willie Nelson, Tony Soprano and Gandalf the white were her three. And I do think it's safe to say that Tony Soprano was kind of the outlier because has, <laughs> I think so. She has a certain hair so. aesthetic and beard, but, um, yeah, uh, that was the, as far as I recall, I'm, I think it's safe to say also that this, uh, return of the King was her only midnight, uh, movie that she ever wanted to see because she could not wait to see how it wrapped up. <gasps> wow. This is a woman who went to bed at eight o'clock at night and would wake up at four o'clock in the morning. And she made a point. She changed her sleep schedule so she could go with me to see return of the King at, uh, at midnight. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was a huge fan of a uh, Lord of the Rings <laughs> in true negative fashion. Not so much the Hobbit movies. <laughs> <laughs> possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Wait! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop us. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission. Quest. Thank you. Well, that rules you out. Nine companions. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? <laughs> 